Despite what your LinkedIn feed might tell you, a career in Fang is not the only way to grow in tech, or even get started in tech for that matter. There are many variables in play that can help you determine what career track to pursue, but none more important than the answer to your own why. That's why today I'm talking to Chloe Shi, a product manager and content creator about her journey to a product manager role, struggles along the way, and the realization that work in big tech might not be all that interesting and impactful. Enjoy the show. Welcome, folks, to another episode of the Work Item Podcast. Uh, we're bringing you every week insights from awesome folks in the tech industry. And today I have uh, here on the show, Chloe Shi. Welcome, Chloe. Hi. Yay. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. Yes. Very excited to talk to you about today because I have so many questions. And before I get into them, Tell us more, what are you working on these days? Yeah, okay. So I guess like from a career perspective, um, I am currently a product lead at TikTok. And so I'm kind of in the middle of a career transition. So by the time this episode comes out, I probably no longer will be um, at TikTok, but have a lot of stories to tell. And then on like a more personal note, I have just like been trying to work on some creative things like videos and then working on a Discord and like streaming and just like fun creative projects that I normally would not have engaged in. Um, but now I have like a little break in my life. So I'm just trying to focus on like fun stuff. Yeah. Like singing and gaming and, um, and like drawing <laughs> and like being on the show. Oh uh, yes. And being on the show. Uh, yeah. Thank you for your patience, by the way. I know it took us some time to schedule this shameless plug, but I know that there's a lot of stuff that is way more fun than the show, but <laughs> I know that before, uh, I even talk to you to come on the show. I again, watch your YouTube videos and I know that you had some collabs that were awesome and you're a great product manager. So tell me more about your unique story in product, because what I've noticed is you have this kind of a mix of product, business development, operations, like what all led to this? Yeah, it was definitely a, a story uh, and it was not a straight shot for sure. I started off my career working in operations analytics at Google, and it was honestly very boring. <laughs> like it was just literally um, very operations heavy, very SQL heavy. And it was, I don't know, I, I think it was a, a like, you know, first job out of college, wasn't really sure where exactly in the industry I wanted to be in. And then I was like really fascinated with gaming. So I like started interviewing in all kinds of gaming realms and then got an offer at Google internally um, to switch over to support like the analytics team, but behind Pokemon Go. And I was like, gonna join that or this like esports company or this uh th this streaming company in the startup space and so i kind of pivoted my my like career into going into like the live entertainment area and then um i initially got an offer to be a pm or a product manager at the company or go into biz dev business development and then i was like looking at the leadership team and i don't think like there was a really formal, there wasn't any formal structure around product management, but then the business development uh, senior vice president, she was like this, just like this badass um, female leader in tech who's like very OG MySpace and then worked and then was at Microsoft a long time ago and um, worked at Valve and then made Steam the way it was today and then became head of content at Oculus and got acquired by Facebook and sat next to Sheryl Sandberg and then she would have been my boss. So I decided, oh, I'll just go into business development there. And like through that experience, I got to really meet a lot of our like content creators that was part of the streaming platform and like was able to pitch a bunch of feature ideas that would help them and elevate their careers. And so that was like the beginning of product for me. I wasn't by title a product manager, but the company I was at didn't really have product managers because it was led by like ex-Apple execs. And, you know, Apple is not very, not a very product management driven type company. So uh, I was doing a lot of PM work there and it really came down to like, I was extremely good at BD and I really liked doing it. But as much as I sold and did partnerships and made things happen, I was always bottlenecked by the product. And so I wanted to push product forward to create 
you know, new possibilities. And, um, and then I, I got really intrigued. And then that was like the start of the journey. What a journey it was, it seems. I do have a question to that because you, you called out something that's very important to me. And when I talk to folks who are early in their career, they have this question. So you mentioned that the first job that you got was boring. Yeah. <laughs> when I talk to folks that are just starting out in the industry, they're fresh out of college, whether they're going to work at a startup or a big tech company, it doesn't really matter. But essentially they're asking, well, I have the opportunity to do this job that's kind of boring, but it, it is a foot in the door. Or should I hold out to get my dream job, whether it's working like at a gaming company or at some game studio somewhere? What are your thoughts on that? Like, should should one take the boring job to get into the industry or should they wait? Yeah, it's a very personal question. I think it depends on your risk tolerance and where you're at financially. I think I just needed to take like my first job. And if you're an international student, then there's like the, the, the options are so much more limited and you should definitely take a fang job that will sponsor your work visa. Yeah. Wait, did you take a very standard traditional first job when you first got out, if you remember? Well, first of all, I'm the international student you're talking about. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Uh, so I, I had to get for a company that would sponsor the whole thing, but- um, oh, That's how hard. Yeah, yeah it, it is very hard. But no, actually, I uh, my first job was as a dev on some game-related stuff, funnily enough. And I Ooh. got a little bit, I don't want to say bored, but like right after that internship, I was like, wait, there's a thing called product? What is that about? I get to talk yeah. to people and I get to decide things? Yes, let's do it. Sign me up. I just stuck around with that. I don't know, but I, I wouldn't say it was boring. I, well, I guess it depends because I worked on Outlook desktop. Like if, <laughs> if you find email entertaining mm -hmm. in any capacity, then sure. But it was definitely not something that I'd be like, wow, this is this is the kind of stuff you brag about. Like, what do you do? Like, oh, I build the next Skyrim. What about you? Email client? I don't know. Uh, some people love it. Some people are really, you know, they nerd out a lot about productivity and emailing since that's their life. I, I know what you mean. I feel you. But I'm glad you had a, you know, like a, a fun first. It sounds like a fun first job. It is a fun. Yeah, yeah. it is a fun one. Yeah. I would say like for, so, so the question is, should I do something that's more non-traditional that probably is something more adventurous versus like the safe path starting out? Um, I think it depends on what questions you're trying to answer at that time of your career. Like, do you have a burning desire to potentially go into gaming or entertainment or uh, I don't know, like fashion? And if you do, there's no better time to answer that than at the beginning of your career. But if you're strapped for money and you need something stable, then it's a very realistic decision to go with the safe choice and you can like moonlight or you could just like do things on the weekend to help better answer that burning question you have. So it's, it's a really hard, it's really difficult. Um, I do want to say that a lot of people have told me this. I'm really risk averse. Like I just am afraid of taking risks because of the financial component and the decision only gets harder <laughs> because you're just strapped in further and deeper and deeper. So uh, yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's not an easy thing to, yeah. It's a tricky one. And I, I can definitely relate to the the financial aspect because like I grew up in Eastern Europe and my family was by no means wealthy. Having kind of the the financial stability is such a huge, I think, cornerstone that kind yeah. of, got, I don't want to say like beaten, beaten into me by life, yeah. if you will, that it was just like, there's like, you have to have a stable job that can hold you out for like, what if something happens tomorrow? Like, what do you do? Do you have enough savings? Like. It's hard. it's hard, like uh, going to a startup and saying, yeah, you might not make money for the next five years. If our startup works, you might get equity. But I know it's so rare. Most people I know won't stay at the startup for longer than three years, two to three years, because it just crashes and burns. And it's like not a good culture fit or you don't grow anymore. Like why waste your time? But you won't get that equity um, incentive. So it's it, it, it's so difficult. And I have to say, like, ugh, the industry is hard because like all the people who are really successful, you know, successful and the ones that are on all the PR releases and um, on all the articles, these are people who most of them 
could afford to take a risk, like could afford to fail. They have like that safety net. So um, that's a really personal decision. I think a lot of people actually, they like project out the exact amount of money that they need in case like the worst case scenario fails or like they create a runway for three months or six months. Right. And like you said, there's so many factors that go into that decision because... You know, another one is like work-life balance. Like, do you want to work nights and weekends or do you have other plans? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. Maybe not? I don't know. It's it's tough. It's super tough. And it's also just hard to get a first job. So like sometimes you're so burnt out. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. And especially with the first job, I think now the more I think about it, it's also even if you take that boring job or whatever the first job that might not be the perfect one, I feel like it still would make your next job a little bit easier, right? Because if you're going to go to an interview and you say, well, I've never worked anywhere else before and I only have these side projects, probably be a harder sell than coming with somebody that says, yeah, I've been at Google and I've been building, I don't know, some behind the scenes plumbing system for this infrastructure yeah, project. Yeah. But you're like, but at least you have something to talk yeah, about. Yeah, there's something there. So yeah, that said, I, I don't think there's a wrong path there's just your path that, yeah. And you just got to know the pros and cons and the trade-offs and the things that you're giving up and the things you're trying to accomplish in that one to two years of your career. Yeah. Tough decisions. <laughs> right. So as with anything on this podcast, there's no single answer and adjust your life situation. Yeah. So don't, don't, don't take what we talk here as gospel. It's definitely not. It's just, you know, opinion of two people. Yeah, exactly. But if I could go back... I don't think I would have taken, I wanted to take that first job. Really? Yeah. What would you do instead? If I could go back to the beginning of college, I'm actually unsure if I would want to go to college, to be honest. <laughs> I'm like very, I, I studied a lot. I studied an insane amount and I just felt like for what? I just never really had a good, um, I don't know, just a good center or I was really grounded. I just thought like authority, education, I just need to get good grades, listen to the professor, but I didn't build like my own voice. And then going into the industry, I joined Google and I only really joined Google because it's a brand name. Like that's it. There was just nothing I could do at that level at Google would be meaningful. Like at, at a company of a hundred thousand, there's nothing there for me at that level. So I wish that I just enacted on my dreams a little bit earlier in life and not try to adhere to like the societal um, norm of what is good and what is, yeah, I just, I feel like that's what I did because I was afraid and it was just a safe thing. I remember how it felt like then and I was afraid to do anything. So I w I'm not sure if I would have the guts, but knowing what I know now, maybe it would have been better. It's an interesting dilemma because thinking back to college, I think I can't think of, well, I, I can't think of a few classes that I probably still remember and use stuff from. Like there was formal ethics. I think that was a fun class. That sounds fun. But things like computer science and all that, it's like, I don't, I, I coded in my free time and that's what helped me get the job. And that's what helped me kind of, build those connections, but not necessarily college classes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's expensive. <laughs> and it is very yeah, expensive. So I, and yeah. back to the risk profile, right? It's like, how much do you want to go into financial debt at the stage in life? But then it's also tricky because in our industry, there's so much that hinges on that degree. Yeah. Right? Like it's, like it's kind of like a filter for better, like for better, or for worse. Yeah. But it, it is the case, right? Where it's like, if you don't have a degree in computer science, or engineering or whatever they're like okay we're not even going to talk to you yeah but i never was a cs major so then i don't think my degree was actually <laughs> that useful yeah i don't i don't know I, I don't know if they checked for it if i could substitute that entire degree for like like a product boot camp that would have like gotten me my first job then maybe that would have been a better use of my time and money <laughs> yeah actually tell me more how was it looking for when you were starting out yeah. finding a position without a cs degree because that's i think a probably a misconception that exists today that if you want to work in tech you have to either go cs or electrical engineering yeah. or whatever what was your journey like well it was hard because i was industrial engineering and operations research and even though it was like very very quant heavy and like programming heavy too but more on like the quant side um, it nobody nobody took 
IOR majors unless you got a master's or a PhD, and then you're like the actual operations researcher behind the people who figure out the algorithm around Amazon's delivery network. Like those are people who publish research paper papers and prove algorithms and proofs. And I was just not that kind of person. And so I felt like my degree at the undergraduate level was kind of useless. Um, and if I could go back to change my degree, I would have like, yeah, I think I just would have wanted to do something that I genuinely would have liked uh, instead of like trying to find the most rigorous path that was that was feasible. But yeah, I, I don't think it was helpful at all. Yeah, not for data science, not for product management, not for CS. Like there was nothing, there was no role that wanted me specifically. So I sent a lot of applications out, got rejected a lot. And that's what happens if you're just not the perfect fit. Getting rejected a lot. That is, oh, I, the, how fortunate are we to work in tech industry right now and have like actual a position? Because I remember getting those rejections and I was like, oh no, not again. I know, it was brutal. I think I like one time, I think maybe, I don't know if it's for an internship or for a full time, but I submitted like 150 applications in like a three weeks time period. I just kept going. Yeah, now you're rejected to like everything except for one. <laughs> yeah, also, now I'm going off script again, <laughs> but there's another question. How do you cope with the rejection of that? Because it seems that the more, wouldn't you get discouraged at some point? Yeah. It's like, okay, this rejects, this rejects, it just kind of accumulates. Um, you know, I I have this plugin called Kill, Kill My Feed on um, Facebook because every kid was posting their like next offer and internship. And I was just like, I hate you all. <laughs> I don't want to see this. So I just like disabled the entire feed on Facebook. And that helped me a lot. Also, um, I just wanted to remind myself, like, even though they got the banking, like I, I went to school in New York. So everyone was getting banking offers and consulting offers at the top firms. And I was like, I, I know I don't want to do that. So even if I see their success, that's just not me. Um, I need to do what's right for me, which is going to tech. And then everyone who was getting offers in tech were software engineers or like comp sci majors. And I had to constantly remind myself, like, this is my own personal journey. I can't really compare their their offers and their experiences in mine. That said, um, that helped me cope with my own journey, but that didn't help me be informed of the opportunities that I could have been, uh, I could have been, I don't know, like setting myself up for. I decided to like just not hear what other people are going through. And I think that kind of was a bad experience because I didn't know what how better things could be. So I only knew the data from like my own offers and rejections. And so when I finally got my offer, I didn't realize that I was like making a third, one third of what everyone else was. And I was like, what the heck? This is, and uh, this is not a good feeling. And when I finally found that out, like a year later, it was awful. Kind of, I think the, the, this is part of why it's important to have the conversation about things like pay. I know. And it's scary to talk to your, I guess, um, students or like friends about this. Like, you don't, that's, that's like a muscle that none of us had exercised at that period of our lives. But now it's just like, it's still uncomfortable, but I think a lot of us are able to talk about it more openly. Because again, by society's norms, just like college we talked about, yeah. it's kind of instilled into, it's like, you don't talk about finances stuff. Yeah. Like, why not? W wouldn't that make you better suited to make better financial decisions? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a tricky time. How to balance it all. Man, it's, it's hard. It's hard. I just wish I had mentors at the time to guide me through it, but I didn't. It was just like me and my social media <laughs> and my Google searches. On that topic, because we talked about this before the show, you know, you mentioned that your career wasn't as linear as one would expect a career to be in product. Because we see, again, from feeds on LinkedIn, on Facebook and yeah. Twitter, these positive stories. You know, I hop from job to job and I get promoted and all these things. And every career has its struggles. Every career has its bumps in the road where you have to overcome them. Tell me more about your experience. What was your career like? And... What were some of these difficult times when you had to stand up for yourself? Yeah, um, there are so many. <laughs> mm, I think that my first joining Google was like, I, I thought I had made it, you know? It's like your first job at, at Google. It's, it seems amazing. But I wasn't a software engineer at Google. I wasn't making 
nearly as much as those other my my classmates were. And I think in my role, I just kind of that they kind of sold my role differently. You know, your recruiters do that, teams do that. They say, "Wow, this is a fancy thing," and in reality, it's just like a bunch of I don't know data entry or emailing or like operational work. And I think I fell for that because I was like so desperate to just get that first offer and and then take it. I didn't negotiate. Well, I tried to, but they're like, "This is non-negotiable." That sucked. And then. Um, I joined the company and realized that I was just being, uh, I don't know how to say this, like under undervalued or uh, like uh, they would just constantly think that I'm a new grad. I am, I am really average. Like everyone else is super smart. I think I was like trying to go on a, trying to show that I was on a track to go more accelerated like go for promo, try to take a leadership role. And these are the experiences that I had always, you know, had in my career, whether that's in school or that's in my side projects or that's in the nonprofits or like my internships, I've always like been in the top, top like three, just top top three people. And so um, I think at the time when I was like trying to show my leadership abilities and develop myself to the next level, I would be met with like a, oh, you're just a number. Like my, I think I remember a manager straight up said, Hey, I know you want to do this thing and you want to get promoted, but I just want to tell you that everyone here is smart at Google and you coming out and graduating, you're just one of the many. So um, it's really difficult to get to that next level. You know, percentage wise, it's not likely. It'll probably take over two years. And then all I heard was here are the historical stats and you, and I'm not making any effort to recognize you for your abilities. I'm only recognizing you for the average of the distribution. I just didn't want to be at a place where people would just see me as a number and they wouldn't actually look at me for like the talent, the value, the ideas. And so I I knew it it wasn't a place for me to grow. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, it was very difficult. Um, Also just working, I think what was really challenging was like hanging out with my, my my classmates they uh, were paid software engineer salaries and to know like I'm only a third of their salary just pissed me off to no end. <laughs> I'm like, we, you weren't even that great of a student in college. Like, I don't understand. You never showed up to class. You were mean. You cheated. <laughs> yeah. So it was like kind of a, a tough place to be in mentally. You know, everyone has different scenarios. Um, so that was like a challenge. Then I transitioned over to the startup called caffeine. I mean, all of this is on my LinkedIn. Um, and I loved, I love, love, loved the startup in the first one to two years. It was like the best career experience I've ever had. But then um, we got some crazy funding and I eventually we started to like pivot. And you know, when startups pivot, culture changes and then talent changes because you hire externally, you bring in leadership and management from other companies. And so the way that we decide and the way that people get invited to decision-making room, that changes. And it was such a struggle because I had been such like a high-performing OG for like since the beginning. And then to have all the power players like come in and change things up was like really, uh, man, I, I just, it was... It was really painful. I wanted to share like specific times when it was rough, but I guess that was like one of the first times I realized that I am an Asian woman. Like I just recognized, oh, wow, I'm an Asian woman and that's different (laughs) because I worked in BD and we had to fly down to LA a lot to meet with like talent agencies. And so every, most of the time when we, we would go down, I would pitch the company and like run and lead a partner potential partnership with like some of the biggest agencies in Hollywood. And many times the, the people, the clients that I'd be working with, they would ask me really inappropriate questions and be like, are you married yet? Or did you just graduate college? How old are you? Um, And then they would also assume that I'm the assistant and ask me to get coffee or water. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh no, no, no. I'm, I'm like the person I'm the senior manager here. Like we're, we're doing the deal. Like it's you and me. There's not a, there's not an assistant. Um, and then even though we were the same age, I just always felt um, just 
people were just looking down on me and they just felt I was really young. Yeah, but um, I, I had a really strong work ethic and I continued to be on top of it. And I led some of the biggest partnership deals at the company that led to the literally most needle moving impact. So I'm really proud of that. Another time was like so many hard things. Another time was I was in a meeting. Okay, so we just went to GDC, which is Game Developers Conference in San Francisco. And we were doing like these partnership deals with a bunch of game devs. And the entire BD team is like 10 plus people. And everyone was like five to 15 years my senior, all dudes. I was like the only girl. And I was the youngest girl too. And um, I was the first person to get the first two deals signed. And then I think like 10 minutes or five minutes before a meeting started, we like hopped on this call and people were like, wow, Chloe, how did you get these deals done? And then um, I was like about to answer. And then this guy interjected and he's like, oh, I know how she got the deals done. I don't know if anyone noticed, but she's a young female and she's talking to a lot of game developers. And when, you know, older male game developers talk to a young female, of course they can't say no. And then it, it was meant to be a joke. And I was just like so shocked because it just never crossed my mind that that would be someone's thought process instead of like she just, you know, killed it at the at the assignment. She understood the assignment. She killed it and crushed it and led this new process, a new partnership where I was able to understand what people want and build this this business. Um, it came down to, oh, she's she's just a young lady. And and so that felt horrible. And then there's like many struggles, just like getting promoted into the positions that I wanted to be and then being able to um, have my voice heard. That was, that was really, really freaking hard. Mm, I think I was like, culturally, it was just such a shock for me because I'm someone who's like a listener and I ask right questions and I try to get, you know, I try to facilitate. I'm the facilitator type. And when I'm in a room full of like alpha males, <laughs> how decision-making works is like the, the, the loudest person in the room gets the final say and that's how the decision is made. And so it got so bad to a point where I was like so afraid to speak up that my, my boss gave me a bell <laughs> to ring in a meeting like a yellow bell and I'd have to tap the bell if I wanted to talk and I understood the intention behind it but it was just really humiliating yeah and I feel like everyone made fun of me for it because I just like you know wasn't as alpha as the other guys yeah those are just some one of the hundreds <laughs> this is one of those things that you hear stories like this and you hear stories like this from from women in the industry going through these and you're like, oh, this is, you know, this is an isolated incident. This, it's, it's not an isolated incident. Yeah. It's shockingly how casual, even what you described is the fact that it was just kind of like, yeah, let's rush it off as a joke. It's a joke, right? Mm -hmm. But how often would you hear that kind of a joke given by a female towards a male, yeah. right? Like the other way around. That would not be perceived as a joke the other day. Like, oh, that's just offensive. Right. And somehow we'll normalize like, oh, this is this is a joke, right? It's like the, the guy's just joking instead of focusing on the fact that you're perfectly capable and you're talented at doing that. Yeah, there are a lot of jokes and a lot of mistakes. I was just a guinea pig for a lot of different managers or senior people to, um, I don't know, rage on too. like, I think, unfortunately, uh, I think I blocked this all from my memory. But because I had been so present and been like the person to go to everywhere, uh, I just happened to be in the room at the wrong time many times. And I didn't realize how emotional people can get at work and they would just like flip out. And then I just happened to be a target, like the closest object that they can just like take out their rage on. And it was really scary because I don't, at that, at that time, I could, I didn't know how to react back. It was it, it was like, it was horrific. I think another time I, I told myself the reason why I was going to go into gaming was that I felt that I could be more of my authentic self. I didn't have to be like the straight edge, really buttoned up, um, cutthroat type person that spoke like one specific way that's like really professional and book professional, I guess, because I, I like my quirky self and I like my casual self and I'm very competent and full of all kinds of skills but I don't want to compromise my core personality. 
And so um, I think during this time when like a lot of new talent came in and a lot of changes were happening, we were seeing a wave of like old talent leaving and complaining. And so I just wanted to, um, I just worked extra hard at that time. And then I think a colleague of mine, he, he tried, he tried escalating like the struggles that some of the team members were going through to the leadership team. And the leadership team was like, oh, well, um, is it because like Chloe is having problems with this? Because if it is, then it's not a problem. And then to be like singled out by the leadership team as like the problem child or the source of drama or whatever, when in fact, in my headspace and in my actions, I had not done a single thing that would rile up another person. I literally just like heads down, get this thing done, listen to my leadership team, make sure that they are set up for success. Um, it felt really, it felt really disheartening, like to be pinned as a scapegoat of like, you know, cultural changes or challenges. And then it got to a point where him and I, we were pretty good, like friends at work. And after a hackathon, he was like, Hey, can you, can you, um, can you chat? It was like a Friday afternoon at 5 PM and we entered in like a phone room. And then he was like, look, I talked to leadership about these challenges that we had been talking about. And I don't know if you've noticed that I've been avoiding you lately. And I'm like, oh, no, I, I haven't. I'm, I'm busy doing my own thing. I, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, okay, great. Well, just want to tell you that um, I, I heard this from leadership. And I just think that we can't be friends anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? He was like, look, we're colleagues before we're friends. But if the leadership team thinks that you're not leader material, then um, it hurts my reputation being, you know, being seen with you. And maybe, maybe like it just sucks. Maybe, maybe, you know, I understand you're this bubbly personality and everyone loves you. But when you're trying to enter your room and you ha have to like influence people to make a decision and you're unable to because you're too bubbly, that's like, that shows really poorly on you. And maybe we just live in a terrible society where you just have to be really cold and cold stone, like have a heart of stone and be really deadpan to be considered a leader in Silicon Valley. And that's the world we live in. And you're just not that. And, um, and it's going to hurt my career if I like associate myself with you and I hope you understand. That to me sounds absolutely nuts. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I mean, it, it is kind of crazy. Like, really? You're going to suppress somebody's personality? And like, what is this? Mean Girls? Or like associating, you know, oh, you, you, you can't be seen with us <laughs> because otherwise, like, what? Yeah. I think he just was going through a lot and he raged and he thought I was a problem. He took it out on me. And me at the time, like, I'm just such an understanding, like a kind-hearted person that I was like, Oh, wow. Like, thank you for giving me this feedback. I definitely will think about this. Like, don't worry about it. You do you. I just want to be supportive. I didn't realize I was crossing my own boundaries and not doing justice to my own self and not respecting who I am, not valuing who I was. I should have clapped. I should have clapped back. I should have been like, do you hear what you're saying right now? Like, are you for real? Um, but yeah, his, the TLDR was like, you're too bubbly. You're not leadership material. I can't hang with you because you're ruining my reputation. That to me, again, is just, I, I don't even know what to say. To me, is like, this is just one of those things where if, I don't even know how I would react if somebody would told me that at work. Yeah, I was and, shocked. Right? It's like, like you're, you're, oh, you're this energetic person. Like, how about you like tone it down to zero so that people can get along? Yeah. I'm curious to that because as folks can potentially get this kind of feedback at their workplace, again, wherever they work, whether it's a big company, a small startup, how do you know where to draw the line between feedback that says, here's how you can perform yeah, better yeah. versus suppress who you actually are to fit in? Yo, I got an answer for you. Okay. Have you ever heard of this thing called workplace PUA? No, PUA? no idea what that is. Okay. So, okay. So it's because I work um, at a Chinese company and there's like a lot of new terms that have uh, you just surfaced yeah. from working life. But there's this thing called workplace PUA that originated from uh, PUA stands for a pickup artist. And pickup artists are known to say things that are really emotionally manipulating to get you to think a certain way that is not the truth. So then it translated over to the workplace. And it means like 
a colleague or a manager. Um, and basically it means where a colleague or a manager negs you or like gaslights you or calls you out for things about you versus the behavior of your work. So it's like, oh, you, you look, you look dumb today with your new glasses or you just, you just sound really unprofessional or, you know, your, your demeanor, like basically things about you that don't really, that don't really map to what your statement of work entails. And that's a hard line because you're basically attacking someone's character and their identity and their personality and how they show up to work because you're just, I don't know, you just don't like the way that they look today and that bothers you. So that's it. I, I've experienced this so many times in my career and I realized, and it's really hard in, to recognize in the moment, but uh, if you're ever, if you're ever checking yourself, Hey, is this, does this have to do with my actual work that my deliverables are that I was hired to do? If not, then is this something that they have good intentions to help me get through? Like maybe there's something that's not, that's very intangible. Like um, they want, maybe they want me to develop my public speaking abilities and I stutter a lot. And then they just say, Hey, I just want to share. Um, I saw your presentation. think the content is amazing. Uh, I, I just, I just know that maybe you're interested in getting a promotion and I wanted to give you some feedback so that it can help elevate you for your, the next time you present to leadership. But I know the leadership team really values presentation quality and, um, I don't know, stuttering and saying words like, um, like, you know, pause words might not be super effective for them. That's what I've heard. So perhaps this is something that you could, uh, you, you, you can pay attention to next time. Yeah. I just like, basically if the intent, the intention is really genuine about like wanting you to succeed, then it's okay. I feel like it's okay. But if it's, it's like, if it's something like they are saying something because they want them to succeed, like they want themselves to look good and then they're attacking you for it. You can tell, people can tell that they're placing blame on you for the lack of success of the team. And that's not okay, especially if they're a manager or like a higher up, they should have the humility and the uh, ability to not have an ego and be able to uplift the entire team. Like, you know, servant leadership, got to support the entire team. But that's like, those are traits of really poor leadership and people who are totally insecure about themselves. So insecure that they got to push someone else down. Yeah. Just recognizing that will, will at least help me have the courage to be like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what your intentions are saying the words that are coming out of your mouth right now. So could you just like clarify what your goal is? Right. Sometimes yeah. the gut instinct actually is very, very, Helpful in that regard is like, oh, that didn't yeah. feel well. It probably because it was not that well intentioned sometimes. Yeah. And I I remember one of those moments in my career, very early in career. I think it was my first or second year at my full-time job. Got in the meeting room with a person, and it was just me and this other person. And they're like, Oh, somebody more senior gonna join us as well. And I was like, Oh my no, god, it's I just, hate it's that. Just me. I hate and they're that. like, Oh, all right. Well, okay, I guess we'll proceed. And then I was like, at the time, I was like, oh, maybe he wanted my manager because they make a decision. But then like years later, it dawned on me. He's like, damn it. That's not what it was. It, that's not yeah. what it was. Yeah, people who play the seniority game and the years of experience game are very short-sighted. And I avoid these types of people as much as possible in my career. Or I'm just cordial with them and I try not to engage further because they've just got something to figure out and I don't want to be part of that energy. It's not, it's not fun. It's a ridiculous concept because yeah. why, why would somebody with no years of experience not be able to bring a good idea to the table or a good suggestion or drive an initiative or help? Like, sure, they don't have the experience yet. Why discard their ideas right off the bat? Basically like, oh, you've, you've, you only joined our college. Yeah, I, and, and I, I think that, these types of people are very much gatekeepers or they're very territorial. And even if you are great talent and you're on their org, they'll feel threatened. And then they'll like ax you somehow. And you just gotta, you just gotta leave. Like if they're, that's the type of leader that you're working for, you just gotta leave. There is no turning back. Like those people are very stubborn. Unless something life-changing happens, they never change. 
My favorite anecdote of that was another meeting. Surprise, surprise. Product people have a lot of meetings. And we were pitching some project idea. And again, this person heard us out. And the first thing they did was just, I've been at this company for 20 years. This will never work. And just like smacks the table. It's shocker that project actually worked a year later. But, you know, it's like, I've been here for 20 years. And so what? I I think that it's, it's okay to say that in my 20 years of experience, I haven't seen it work because of XYZ reasons. So if you're able to address those, then I'm willing to work this out. But if not, I, I have a feeling that the same mistakes will happen again. Yeah, that should be the conversation. That's more constructive. So we're talking about the seniority trap. How do you break out of that? What worked for you to kind of counteract, and you said being very cordial with those people, to what extent do you push back on somebody that comes to you and says, you know what? Yeah, I've been here for five years. I know better than you. Dude, this is hard because it depends on what what uh, battles you want to. Yeah, like I, I don't want to... There's like, not every hill is the hill I want to die on. <laughs> and so um, it depends on if you're willing to stake it all. Like if you're willing to get fired, then by all means, go go and like run with your values and your virtue and be the righteous one. I think that like, if I, if I am willing to take that risk, then I wish like I could say all those words. Yeah, for, for me, I genuinely don't speak up about it as much as I should. And that's something I want to develop myself in the next, in my next stage of my career. Just like pushing back and being really assertive about when I see something that's wrong, even like slightly wrong, that doesn't make sense to me. I should um, respect my, my hunch and validate that question, validate the answer to the question that I have. And I just need to do that to respect, you know, the, the questions that I have developed because I've like over the years you develop an eye for things and if you ignore that then what what are you really working on what are you growing um how are you changing in your professional life yeah so I don't do very well something that I hear that works pretty well that's not like very confrontational is if you've ever read split never split the difference yeah there was there's that one section on mirroring where you just like, if someone says, can you go print 20 copies of this email? You're like, sorry, 20 copies. And then you just kind of repeat what they say in a question format in hopes of getting clarity. And that forces the other person to think about what they just said and, you know, verify that that's exactly what they want and then share with you the gold. And usually if it's a ridiculous request, then they will be like, never mind, maybe just 10 copies or maybe not. And then you just like keep doing that until they give you, you're, they're forced to give you the right reason. Um, yeah. And I think that's an excellent skill to just build for easy, low hanging fruit circumstances. So it's basically communicate yeah. what you're feeling, how it made you feel and just make it in a way that is not necessarily attacking the person because i i know that the the first hunch sometimes can be like what did you just say you want me to do the copies for you how about you go and and then you're just getting like "Uh, i don't know how politically effective that can be yeah yeah i think i started um okay so this is kind of an odd thing but i don't know if you've worked with like execs who've been around tech for so long that they like don't really know how to download a pdf yes i know what you're talking about yes (laughs) yeah or they don't know how to use excel or they just they don't know how to use a dashboard you know we use asana we use jira we use like all this new tech and they have never they have never grown from just like email just text text copy paste email send me the raw like send me the dot dot doc file and i'm just like dude i can't work with you and there's a lot of execs that are very needy that you, you know, you do their quant analysis, you like aggregate all this information for them. And I would get all like continuous amounts of requests. And so I started just asking them what the purpose is, like, why do they need this analysis? What, what is the business reason? And what's preventing them from like doing it themselves? Like everything's already there. This is a dashboard that was built. This is it. Like, yeah, as simple as it you gets, can do it. you can do it. It's linked. <laughs> I'm excited for you to learn. 
Yeah, th those are kind of the the life hacks of the industry that we probably need to compile like a book of these little things. It's like, here's how to win friends and influence people in 2021 if you work in tech. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was not super fun. But I feel like a lot of those mini circumstances can pigeonhole someone into doing meaningless tasks that makes you really just like hate your job. Right. And that's not fun either. Right. How do you yeah. break out of that? Because to me, that's, see, that's also a tricky one because sometimes yeah. you gotta push through the grunt work to get to something more meaningful. Like, you know, I, I talk to people that, again, they're kind of stuck in their position. They're like, hey, I've been doing this job for the past six months. Kind of sucks. I have to do, like you said, like, oh, some data entry and it's just, it's whatever. It doesn't push my boundaries, doesn't let me grow. But then you're like, yeah, yeah but you've only been working for six months and going somewhere else right now is probably going to hurt you in the long run. Yeah, I feel that as someone who's hopped a lot of companies, it's a hard decision. My, my first instinct is always to stay and make it work. And that's not easy. I think it depends on everyone's situation, but if it's something like I don't enjoy my work right now and I don't know what I want to do next, I think that person needs to do more reflection on what that next is. It doesn't make sense to change your situation to just run away from something bad because the industry is, is very cyclical. Like you will see the same problems everywhere. And so running away from problems is not very beneficial because then you're just going to see it again and then run away again and you're just going to be tired and then you're going to run out of companies. <laughs> Yeah, my favorite one is when people be like, oh, I don't like because there's just too much politics and drama on my team. I'm going to go somewhere else. Like, guess what? Politics and drama are on every team because that's how humans yeah. work. Like, there's going to be different degrees of it, probably. Yeah. So then I think if it's something more like this part of my job is really, really boring and doesn't give back to me, then do you really have to do it? Like And then just negotiating with your management team that is this statement of work that impactful and that needle moving to our top line metrics, then we shouldn't do it. Yeah. If like we're trying to invest in some dashboard and nobody looks at it, why, why even build it? Are you even ready to build out metrics for maybe like a new product that doesn't even have enough user base for us to see trends? Our, yeah, I just, I just think that we can get lost in the everyday and not like figure out what our end goal is. So, you know, for people who are trying to make that change, what is their end goal and are they getting there? And also the grass is never greener. And what you described also depends heavily on having a supportive manager, somebody that yeah. is willing to go to bat for you and say, you know what? Like, yeah, maybe what you're working on right now is not as meaningful. Let me find you a meteor project that you can work on. Because you can also have a manager yeah. that's just kind of like, I don't care, just whatever. Always. That's, that's usually what happens. <laughs> It's very hard to find a good supportive manager, but it, I think if you ever talk to your senior leadership or your um, HR team about it, they will always be like, do you talk to your manager yet? So checking off that box. And if it's not your manager, then is there another senior manager within the org that you can talk to? Is there another senior IC? Is there someone outside the company? Just like have all these checks in place before making like a rage quit decision. So we talked about all these challenges. It's not easy to push through this and keep yourself motivated and frame everything from my conversation with you. What I hear is like, you kind of take everything as a lesson. It's like, okay, now I know. And I know how to kind of work around that. What helped you push forward in spite of all these challenges, in spite of all the roadblocks, in spite of the fact that, like I said, you work on in a realistically male-dominated industry where the perception is different. What helped you? Depends on every stage of my life in my career. Ultimately, is surrounding myself with the right voices to keep me, keep, keep me accountable or hold me accountable. Like, I think when I was trying to get out of a certain situation, I had a senior PM who coached me through like product interviews almost every day and I shadowed him and he grilled me questions day after day. And that helps me keep like, keep myself on track. I was also a reminder that um, I shouldn't always just put up with the situation you have in front of me. Like just because it's a problem in my work life doesn't mean I have to solve it either. So going from, oh, these are problems I should solve and be a team player to these are such toxic issues that no matter what I do, it'll only hurt me in the end. That Those are two 
areas where I need to keep separate. <laughs> yeah. So just having the right voices around me, having the right people to coach me and hold me accountable and get make progress for my my way out. And just having like a very gut checking myself every so often to make sure I'm, I am motivated by the right reasons. Like, why am I leaving? Why do I want to go into this field? Why do I want to spend 20 hours a week training on something that doesn't give to me if things don't go through? Just like, what am I ultimately trying to accomplish? And does that make me happy? Like, where does that come from? Is it because I see everyone else on LinkedIn and they have and it looks really prestigious? Or is it something I truly like the the day to day of having kind of that mission or that your own pillars like hold you grounded whenever you're up against like a really challenging situation, then that helps me get through it all. Yeah. So I just want to have a good why for living my everyday. And no one can, I just have to remember that my voice matters more than anyone else's. Yeah. And then like only keep the voices around me that will help support me to get there. How do you find those voices, the trusted people around you, they can surround yourself with that can give you that Sometimes difficult guidance and maybe like a second thought of like, hey, just a gut check. Like, did I interpret this right or what this other person did? Like, how do you find those people? For me personally, I'm pretty social. (laughs) I'm I'm very, I was very, very, very social early on in my career. So I got to meet a lot of people. But I think a huge part of it is like, for me, it was being vulnerable with my situation of challenge. So I would share my salary. I would share some of the conversations I've had. Um, And not everyone does that. And like people maintain this like picture perfect image of themselves in career and like good for them, I guess. But then I, I need help and I'm going to admit it and I will share it with anyone that I think I can trust. And that comes with like mistakes where people hear the vulnerability and then judge you for it and take advantage of you for it. So I've made a lot of mistakes and I think I am fortunate now to not have those people in my life because it, like the vulnerability thing, I share my challenges and I share that I'm not perfect and I'm struggling with a lot of these things. It kind of challenges some of the people in my life, colleagues, friends, mentors. And um, it's like a character challenge. Like depending on what they say, do I vibe with the values that they're projecting onto me in this answer? And if it uplifts me or it gives me new perspective and I'm willing to accept and respect it, then um, I think that it's a very strong relationship that I can move forward in. And if it's not, if it's something that just like doesn't, doesn't make sense with my set of values, then I just have to deliberately not, not associate myself with them anymore and like prune those relationships. For example, I did have a mentor in my life in like in my earlier college days. He was like older than me. He was already working in, um, in the industry. And he was like, so great to me when I was a student. But then as I like moved forward into my professional life, I was like posting on my personal Instagram story around mental health Tuesdays, which is like the day I go work out, I go see my therapist and then have like a self care night. And then I'd post every so often. And then he like messaged me saying that he's noticed that I've been posting this more often, and that I shouldn't because it would harm my reputation and it just looks it makes me look really weak and I'm like sir first of all it's my personal Instagram personal these and he's like well you probably have coworkers follow you and it's really bad for your reputation your image so you shouldn't post it and your mental health Tuesdays make you look weak so then that stuck out to me a lot I was like dude you're just not someone who understands that vulnerability is courage and um we can agree to disagree, but I had to walk away from that relationship or friendship, you know? Yeah. And again, as you called out that vulnerability, we all can benefit from it. We can all benefit from more transparency because everyone is going through something. I don't know of anyone, mm-hmm. whether at work or my friend circle that just like, yeah, everything is smooth sailing 24 seven, zero challenges. Life is perfect. Like despite what Instagram makes you want to believe, it's not the case. Yeah, And it's admirable when people go out of their way to show the fact that like, actually, I am going through this and I'm seeking help and I'm being helped. And that's great. Like, I, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that I feel like I, 
I appreciate what you do in that regard and sticking to your principles and your values. And the theme that I hear here is intentionality. Be very intentional about who you are, what you do, how you seek out people around you. And that yeah. that is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, I I vibe with that. <laughs> so Chloe, we're getting a time and I have one question that I ask of all the guests on the show is one piece of uncommon advice for folks that are early in their career, they're just getting started, something that you learn through experience and maybe you did not necessarily read in the blog post somewhere or something that just kind of was like, aha, uh -huh, I, I have maybe not the secret sauce to something, but just more of like, this is something worth paying attention to. Man, I wish I had like a, a, a quote that sounds like really nice that you can put up on a wall or frame it, but I, I'm not as eloquent as that. I, I think that maybe this is a piece of advice I want to give myself. Yeah, as I as I continue to grow in my career, it's just who do I want to show up as tomorrow in my life and what's stopping me from getting there? And so uh, those are the questions that I really want to um answer. Mm, cuz I feel like and I guess like why do I want to be that that version, that Chloe? Like what what is why do I even want to be I don't know, like grinding it in tech or just being a product manager or like have these LinkedIn posts or I'm not, I'm not too sure. Why do I want to be so busy all the time? Why do I want to spend my time doing X, Y, Z? Like what kind of person do I want to shape myself to be? And can I start becoming her now? Yeah, because I feel like throughout my entire career, I have just looked at other people and what success looks like from like the small window that I see of them. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I should have to be that, I guess. Like my parents told me, my school told me, the tech crunch told me, <laughs> Forbes told me. Um, and honestly, that's never the complete picture. Most people that I've seen uh, that I got to meet in real life who've like been super featured online actually have some of the like uh, the most chaotic lives that I would never want to live. I would never want to be in that path. And that's like, okay, they're going through it. We're going through it. But I, I just never really gave my own, respected my own voice and my own desires. It was always like, I need to be a certain way for other people to validate who I am. But I want to switch it to, can I just not give a shit about what other people are saying? Like, so what if I don't get the promotion? So what if they think of me poorly or I didn't show up on time because I wanted to do something else? Um can can I just be the Chloe that I am I am proud to be right now? And and like everyone else just takes a backseat. And I think that's like a really hard mental shift. Cause I'm I'm really such like a quote unquote good girl. <laughs> like I am very, very responsible, very mm, very to the book. I'm the oldest sister. I've always been the person in the group project that saves the group. Like I, I'm the note taker, I'm, I'm in the front of the classroom. And I, I realized I never did that for myself. I just did it for others, yeah. So um, that's why I feel like my path wasn't the right path because it wasn't even my path. I'm only beginning my path maybe as, as soon as I can, like now, like today, I hope. <laughs> But yeah, I think that's what it is. I guess the TLDR is follow your own path and follow your own voice. Because like when you finally accomplish it all, like I guess where I'm at today, where else is there to go? I'm I'm at a really lucky, fortunate position. It 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 feels really it doesn't feel that it doesn't feel as like, whoa, amazing fanfare as you would think. I like the framework of asking the why question. Yeah. Just asking why. Why why do you want this? So many people miss that part where you're kind of like we talked about earlier, you know, the college working in big tech or doing any of that. It's like, why? Is it is it money? That's that's a good reason. Yeah, that's right? very fine. It's very like, realistic. What, what is driving you? And I think that this has been a great, insightful episode that everyone should watch. And before we wrap up. Where can people find you online and learn more about the work that you're building and will be building? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I 
started a YouTube channel too, and it's called Colors of Chloe, where I share stories about my career and like vlog a little bit about my life and share some of the inner thoughts in a fun, creative way. So hope people can enjoy that. Um, I also stream on Twitch. Usually it's co-working sessions, you know, chill sessions to talk about anything, career, life, development. Um, and I have a Discord server with that's also called Colors of Chloe. You can just find all the links on YouTube. It's like in the YouTube video, in the description, whatever. So uh, those are some great places to get connected. Yeah, and that's where like I hope I can invest more time in in the near future. Excellent. Well, Chloe, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Dan, and thanks for all the thoughtful questions. I know we went all over the place, but hope it's been insightful to all the listeners. Those are the best episodes. <laughs> Amazing.